Hey everyone, welcome to the seventh session in our overview of the New Testament. With, <clears throat> this is our second last one, and we're going to be looking at the Pauline epistles, the epistles of the Apostle Paul today. But first, we're just going to talk about epistles in general. What is an epistle? Probably you know this. An epistle is a letter, something that one person writes to another person or another group of people. And all of the New Testament epistles that we have were written in the first century very important. Last week we talked about uh, the how to determine the canon of Scripture, how the early church decided which books were to be included and which were not. One of their deals is it had to be written in the time of the apostles. Okay, so all of these uh, New Testament epistles were written in the first century. Now, in that time, letters were not common. Particularly in the nation of Israel, letters were not common because letters were very expensive. We're used to letters being very inexpensive today. Well, emails are almost free, but physical written letters, you get a piece of paper. Like, what's that? Doesn't even cost a cent, half a cent, tenth of a cent. And you've got your ballpoint pen and you just write it and you send it, maybe cost a dollar to send. But back then they didn't have paper. They had vellum, vellum, which was animal skin. Well, that's not inexpensive, is it? Or papyrus, which was a, an early form of paper, kind of crude, but Again, very expensive. And so letters were not common, um, particularly personal letters were not common. So in the nation of Israel, letters were very, very rare. Also think of it, nation of Israel is very small. If you wanted to send a message from one person to another, you could probably walk to most places in the nation of Israel in a couple of days. Okay? So the, the concept of sending letters wasn't even really that important. Now, the Roman Empire, on the, on the other hand, was huge. It was enormous. And so letters were common for government business, for military business, but they were still very uncommon for personal business simply because they were so expensive. And to send it from Rome, say, to Tarsus or to Jerusalem, well, you have to hire someone to ride or walk there or go by boat. And so that's going to be expensive as well. And so, very rare for personal purposes. Anything outside of government purposes, there are very few letters written. This helps us to see how important the New Testament writers considered their letters, because they would have been expensive. It would have been a cumbersome thing for them to do. They had to go to a great deal of trouble to write these letters, but they saw the importance of it. They knew Again, that they were writing, in some cases, the words of God. They, they were writing scripture. At the very least, they were writing to people to help them follow the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the most important thing there is in life. Now, there were many letters, as we talked last week, many epistles were written, dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of epistles written by different authors and even by some of the, our, our New Testament authors. But we have 21 that are considered canonical in the New Testament. And the authors are Paul, James, Peter, John, Jude, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Again, someone, some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, some do not. It's helpful to know the circumstances that any given letter was written under, either by the, per, what the, the person who wrote the letter, what they were going through at the time, or the people who received the letter. Uh, what were they going through? at the time. Because think of it, when you're reading a letter, it's kind of like listening to one end of a telephone conversation. If we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, open there to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
And you can see there was a dialogue going on between the Corinthians and Paul. We know Paul wrote at least three letters to the Corinthians. We have two of them. We don't know about the third one. And he may, he may well have written others. But uh, I'm reading from the NIV here. And the, the NIV helps to, uh, helps us to explain, excuse me, helps to explain this dialogue going on. Verse 1 says this, Now, for the matters you wrote about, quote, it is good for a woman not to have sexual relations. I'll say that again. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. End quote. And then Paul goes to talk about it. So, what Paul is saying here, you guys wrote me some questions. Here's the question that you wrote. And he put it in quotes, and then he answers it. In the New King James Bible, which I have right here, I could open it, and there are no quotes. What it looks like is about the things that you wrote about. It's not good for a man to have sexual relationship with a woman. And it's as if Paul is stating that flat out. Well, Paul is quoting what they said, and so he comes and gives uh, some answer to it. So, knowing how these letters were written can help us to understand them as well. The content, uh, some are very general. Uh, a letter like Ephesians is a general statement of doctrine. Romans is a general statement of doctrine. James is general in its uh, content, in its subject matter, but others are obviously very specific uh, in their nature and for their purpose. Galatians was written to combat false doctrine. That's, that's the reason it got written. Philemon is, or Philemon, is a personal letter that Paul wrote to a guy, to one man who was a slave owner. So it was a very, 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 very specific occasion. When you know that, you can read the letter and then put it in the larger context of the New Testament. Now, there's a common structure. Well, I should say there's a structure that's common to most of the epistles, but not all. There's the opening. And usually the first word you read is a name, and it's the name of the author. So it's a little bit different than the way we write letters today. We put, we put the author's name at the end. Signed, Kevin. But usually I put your name at front if I'm writing you a letter. On the other hand, in, the, in New Testament times, they started with the author's name, and then they put the recipient's name, whether it's a church, you know, the believers at uh, Colossae or in Corinth, or the name of the person that Paul was writing to. Paul usually gave a salutation, like grace and peace was his most common one. You see that in almost all of his epistles. And usually there's a prayer, sometimes short, sometimes long. So that's the opening. Then there's the body of the letter, which contains the main content, sort of what's the point of this. And again, sometimes the epistles are quite short, sometimes they're very, very long. And then there's the clothing, the closing. And sometimes the closing is really short, might just be one sentence, but sometimes it, you know, in the case of uh, Romans chapter 16, the whole chapter is the closing. Same in 1 Corinthians, most of chapter 16 is the closing. And so this will often contain details about the sender, or it might contain some details about the people who are bringing the letter to you, or some details about you. And it might be, hey, Paul, I'm saying, will you please say hi to Bob in your church, and can you give him this message, please? And so there's some specific things that are sent from the author to the recipients. You know, when we read that, we, we can be tempted to think, oh, well, this, this is irrelevant, because it doesn't apply to me, because, you know, I'm not that person, I'm not the writer and everything. But to me, this actually makes it all the more interesting because what we're seeing is one human being connecting with other human beings. These are people. 
and they lived together. They knew one another. They shared lives together. This helps, in a sense, bring the scripture to life because it's not just doctrine. It's not just truth. It's not just, you know, the word from God for me. It's, it's for the church, and it's written from one church person to other church people. This helps, I don't know, as I say, bring it to life in this ways. Now, this structure is not identical to all of the Gospels, or excuse me, all of the epistles, but most of them follow it generally. Now, Paul's letters, we're just talking about the Pauline epistles today. The original audience that Paul wrote to were mostly churches, uh, the church in Rome, uh, the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, and the Thessalonians. But he also wrote to some individuals. He wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Titus, and he wrote to Philemon. And the order that we see Paul's letters in the New Testament, if you're ever wondering why are they in that order, the longest comes first and the short comes at the end. It's basically just order of length. That's how it works, basically. Now, to understand Paul and his, to understand the Pauline epistles and what's behind them, we need to know something about the Apostle Paul himself. So, just a little brief history about the Apostle Paul. As you may know, he was born in Tarsus. We called him Saul of Tarsus, right? Which is in modern-day Turkey. And he would have been written, uh, born uh, around the same time that Jesus was born, perhaps in the very same year. His family was a very influential Jewish family. So, of the upper class, and he was in a, a big city with a university in it. And because of his family, he was a Roman citizen. This is extremely important. When you read about Paul in the book of Acts, you see he leans on his Roman citizenship on many occasions to get things done that he knew needed to get done. So, because he was from a Jewish family and he lived in a Roman city with a university, he was well acquainted with Judaism. He was a Jew. He was well acquainted with Greek philosophy, he would have learned that at school, and he would have been well acquainted with Roman law as well. He spoke several languages. I've heard some people say he spoke like 20, I'm not sure how many he spoke. We know he spoke Latin, Greek, Hebrew, probably Aramaic, and I'm sure he would have spoken some dialects and that sort of thing, and he may well have spoken some other languages as well. We don't know for sure. But think of it, he was a well-educated guy. He knew a lot. So when he said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, he had the ability to do that simply because of his background. He could go and talk with the Greek philosophers. He could go and talk with the Roman mythologists. He could talk with the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees, because he was a Pharisee. And we're going to get into that. He was, when he was young, he was sent to Jerusalem to study with Galamiel, who was one of the most famous Pharisees at the time. And by his own admission, he was an ultra-zealous Pharisee when he became a man. I think you could say next to Jesus, Paul was the most influential person in all of Christianity. And therefore, he would have been one of the most influential people in the Western world. So it's really important to know about the Apostle Paul and what he wrote. Now, as a Pharisee, he understood 
the Old Testament. He would have understood it in detail, uh, at great length. He would have known it well. And so when he learned about the New Testament and the new covenant that Jesus made, he was able to tie these things together beautifully, really in ways that none of the other apostles could because they didn't have his background. I'm not saying he was better. He could just do this tying together with greater depth. But he also said that he received special revelation from Christ. In Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12, he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, as a Pharisee, he would have been looking for the coming Messiah. Now, you've heard us say, and you've heard many people say that the Jews were looking probably for a political military leader, and that's true. But the Pharisees were a little different because they knew the Old Testament really well. The Pharisees were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for something a little more specific than that. They were looking for a heavenly being because they based it on Samuel, excuse me, Daniel 7, 13. And it says, Behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That's how they pictured their Messiah coming. And this man would bring about the resurrection of the dead. Again, the Sadducees wouldn't believe in that, but the Pharisees did. This man would bring about the final judgment, and this man would also bring uh, in about the inauguration of a new age, an eternal age. That's the Messiah that most of the Pharisees were looking for, not simply a political Messiah. And you see, Paul had that in mind, and also he was personally aware of the fact that the religious sacrificial system at the temple did nothing to do away with sin. It did not bring ultimate forgiveness or freedom from sin. Read Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? He was aware that the Jewish system could not do that. He also would have learned a little something about Christianity as he was persecuting the church because he would have had to have heard the teachings to know, okay, well, these are the people we're after and this is what they believe and that, that's no good. So they would, he, he would have heard some of this teaching. But then he was confronted with Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, it talks about this. How Jesus appeared to him from heaven. So, oh my gosh, here's this heavenly being. And what did Jesus say? Saul! Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you? I am the Lord Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow. Well, when he got the picture that this heavenly being was Jesus and he started to make this connection between the Messiah that we've been waiting for, this Jesus is the Messiah after all. He, he thought he was just a man. He just thought he was a guy who walked around and taught all these crazy things. But when he saw this is the Messiah we've been waiting for, he changed his mind like that. He did a 180, and while he was 100% against the church, 10 seconds later, he was 100% for the church. And the question that he asks, you don't read this in Acts chapter 9, but you read it when he recounts it later. Right away, he just says, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? So he saw, you're the Messiah. I have to do something for you. What is it? And Jesus showed him. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, this helped his, his depth of knowledge of the Old Testament and his 
realization that Jesus is the Messiah helped him formulate some of the New Testament doctrines that are so important for us today. And I just want to talk about some of these because these are central to our belief. They're central to Christianity. If you read the creeds, so much of these are included in the creeds. First of all, just the identity of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Who is he? The fact that Jesus was God, but Jesus was man. We read Romans 9, 5, and 2 Timothy 2, 5. The fact that he was Lord over all, that all things were created by him. We read about this in Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> 16 to 18. And that he had been involved with all of human history, Israel's history up until that point. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, that that rock that they got the water out of back in the Exodus, that rock was Christ. So Paul saw that Jesus is a man, and yes, he's God. Paul also, Paul also introduced us to the full work of the Holy Spirit, that it is the Holy Spirit who regenerates us. We are born again by the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us when we are born again and continues to sanctify us, to, to cleanse us, to keep us clean before God. It's the Holy Spirit who prays through us. You can read about that in Romans chapter 8, praying in the Spirit. Paul talked to us about the Trinity. Now, he didn't use this word, and he didn't just sum it up nice and neatly that God is three in one. But what Paul gave us was the framework to understand what the Trinity is. Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one essence, one substance. We can distinguish between them. If you read in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the last verse of 2 Corinthians, talks about each person in the Godhead. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 4 to 6, you see Paul distinguishes between them. And he distinguishes between the gifts of each of these. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, talked about the gift that Jesus brings. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, talk about the gifts or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 12, 6 to 8, talk about the gifts from God, who we can assume is the Father. But even, the, even though there are these distinctions, when Paul talks about being filled with God, he talks about being filled with the Spirit, being filled with Christ, being filled with God, being filled with the Spirit of Christ, and being filled with the Spirit of God. He uses these terms interchangeably. So we see there is one God and he fills us, and yet we can distinguish this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another uh, doctrine that Paul talks to us a great deal about is the fact that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. If you read Ephesians 1, start verse 3 and go to verse 13, 13 times in those 13 verses, Paul talks about we are in him, in Christ, in whom, in the beloved. And this is such an important doctrine for Christianity, talking about the union that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Paul talks to us about the new man. We are born again. We are a new being. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, 17, old things have passed away. For those who are in Christ, old things have passed away. All is new. You are a new creation. That's, <laughs> thank God. Uh, he also showed us how salvation is by faith alone, how works do not justify us before God, 
Good works are important, and, and salvation should lead to good works, but good works don't take us closer to salvation. We are justified by faith. Galatians 2.16. So you can read that. He also talked about eschatology, the end times, the last things, the fact that Jesus is coming again. Paul over and over again talked about that day, and that day is the day that Jesus returns. Paul talks to us about the glorification of the body, how these mortal bodies are going to be turned into a new supernatural body. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about that in uh, Philippians chapter 3. He also talks about the judgment that is coming at the end of the age. And of course, Paul talks to us a lot about the church. He's the one who really helped us understand what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. Think of that unity that that means. We are the body of Christ. Think about you and your body. Do you, do you think a, a whole lot of separation there? Or do you tend to think, well, it's kind of all the same thing? Well, we are unified with Christ in that way. And Paul shows us this great union. Think of it. When Jesus approached him on that road to Damascus, he says, Paul, why are you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he could have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. But that was the point. Jesus and his church have this beautiful union. And Paul shows us this, that we are his body. We are the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. It says we're the household of God, and we are also the temple of God. So Paul puts the church, raises the church up to sort of this majestic, magnificent level. Not that we're on the same level as God, but boy, what has God done for us, and how has he raised us up? So these are some of the things that Paul helped us to understand in terms of New Testament truth and doctrine, and really it's crucial for our Christianity, our practicing of Christianity today. To end our session, I want to go through each epistle and give a one-sentence description of the epistle. Romans is a letter essay on the subject of sin and salvation and the transforming power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians is a response to questions about behavior in the Corinthian church, which was a messy church. 2 Corinthians is a somewhat autobiographical personal letter where Paul defends his ministry while also contrasting the internal life with the external life. Galatians is a diatribe against Judaizing the gospel and against legalism. Ephesians is a grand letter essay on the person of Christ, the church's position in him, and our proper response to his salvation. Philippians is a warm letter of thanksgiving along with an encouragement to persevere. Colossians is similar to Ephesians, but shorter, and it focuses on rejecting ceremonies and rituals for justification. 1 Thessalonians is a warm, autobiographical letter about the Christian life in general and the Second Coming specifically. 2 Thessalonians is a sequel, if you want to call it that, to 1 Thessalonians. It is to clear up some misconceptions about the Second Coming. 1 Timothy is a warm letter to a young pastor, and it comprises many aspects of church life and leadership. 2 Timothy, Paul, at the end of his life, writes a farewell discourse, recounting and defending his life and ministry while looking forward to his eternal reward. Titus is a letter in a compressed format written to a young pastor in Crete, and it's filled with commands for church leaders. And then Philemon is a personal letter to a slave owner, asking him to receive back a disobedient slave who had now become a Christian. So, that's a synopsis, 
of each of the Pauline epistles. If you'd like a copy of that, you can download that. You can find the link on the webpage, uh, the Pauline epistles in one sentence. Also, you'll find some notes there. If you want to download those, that will help you to um, maybe understand and remember some of the things that we talked about today. Hope you found this interesting. Uh, our next session is going to be on the general epistles, the rest of the epistles, and of course the book of Revelation, which is always an interesting thing to talk about. So thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time.